forward because I always forget. <clears throat> all right. So with group, I mean, because all the groups are way different, right? But with group A, less talkative. And so I went like full on teacher mode. But like, what do you guys want to do? Because there is a lot in lecture five. I have so many questions and different things. I've tried to like chart it out chiastically and stuff. But anyway, just open it up to questions first. Like, what things really stood out to you? What questions do you have based on lecture five and, and all that? Um, I'm just going to so lecture lecture five is the um, the problematic lecture, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's probably the reason why lectures on faith isn't in the Doctrine and Covenants anymore. Um, because of what it says, where uh, in the middle of verse two, that oh, I just had it a second ago, the father being a personage of spirit, glory, and power. Mm -hmm. Right now, um, and, and people look at that and go, well, I, I thought you say, I, I thought the church says he has a body. You know, why, um, how do we get around that? And he is a personage of spirit, perfected spirit, right? Mm. We know that spirit is matter. Um, he just has, he has a, um, his spirit and body are one and perfected, right? So I think that, um, there are some people who want to just look at it on the surface and they don't quite understand um, all of the aspects of that. And rather than teach the proper thing, it's easier just to say, oh, well, let's just take these out and we don't have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, to avoid confusion and, just, you know, people fighting about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. You know, it's a very interesting. Um, lecture for sure i don't remember if i shared this last week i think i did but i can't remember but um so taking a look at the definitions of characteristic attribute and perfection from the webster's dictionary right um we we took a look at what the difference between those <laughs> are and how characteristics are things that distinguish a person from another and we see that here in lecture five where we have to first unpack and and split apart who the father is versus the son, but then we put them back together by the end of the lecture. And so it's very much um, lecture third was preparing us for lecture fifth in that way, teaching us how to look at characteristics in different ways. And then lecture fourth helped us uh, to really unpack what attributes were and how they're different than characteristics. Um, they're belonging to or inherent in um, and it's interesting that the Webster's Dictionary defines, I mean, they use God to define things. And so um, for the example that he gives here, that power and wisdom are attributes of the supreme being. And um, versus a perfection is basically taking an attribute and taking it to its infinite or supreme version of itself. So here we have infinite power and infinite wisdom versus an attribute is just the power or the wisdom when it's made perfect it, it takes it to that next level right um so when we have knowledge we have a perfect knowledge which in latin omniscient when we have faith or power and take it to its perfect 
um, aspect, we we get omnipotence, etc., justice, judgment, mercy, truth. And so I think that the most aha moment for me um, going through it this time was like, oh, these are very much in sequential order for a purpose. You have to have lecture second before lecture third, and you have to have lecture third and fourth before lecture fifth in order to unpack anything that, that is in that fifth lecture here, um, because they, they just draw upon all of those principles. Um, and anyway, I just found that so interesting. And so I've tried to kind of like highlight through here um, different patterns and, and things like that. But um, anyway, I, I think that those characteristics, perfections, and attributes are, are just so fun to, to study. Um, I don't know. Should we that just would be a great that? document to be able to, to reference, Amron. I like this. Oh, yeah, you're, you're welcome. I'll share it. Let's see. Anyone with the link? link and chat i didn't do that in group a i I, <laughs> I meant to but um anyway so these are some of my questions on the side but it's like i don't know like feel free to to butt in but like sometimes i get like so passionate about lecture fifth that i just like turn into like teacher mode rather than <laughs> to everything else but I think some of these questions can kind of guide us through um, just kind of going uh, front to back and, and going through this um, but I, I just found some of these patterns very interesting um, here at the very it, I'm, I'm basically just taking verse two and, and splitting it all apart and dissecting it every which way right so it starts out with this big sentence this big phrase and it repeats that exact same phrase in the middle before it starts doing its second chiasmus so from what i can tell lecture fifth is two overarching chiasmus that have lots of little parallelisms sandwiched in between and so i don't know just kind of taking a look at, at that first stanza there so there are two personages which constitute the great, matchless, governing, and supreme power over all things, by whom all things were created and made that are created and made. So here we have two personages which constitute this. But here, after talking about how the, the Father and Son are one, and that the Holy Spirit enters the picture, it says that these three constitute the great, matchless, governing, and supreme power over all things, by whom all things were created and made that were created and made. And so I think that that's kind of like one of the first wrestles that we have to do is in the first half of that verse, we need to unpack and, and pick apart the characteristics of God versus the characteristics of Christ. And then we put them all back together in their perfect form, which, which enters the spirit. And then we start talking. And the second half is all about the spirit and his function within this this great godhead here but the the one difference between these two phrases is that this one there are two personages and in the other it just says there are three these three constituted and so personages definitely tells us that there is a body like a perfected body kind of a thing right where 
many people who read the lecture fifth uh, think that that Joseph is kind of taking that out of it, right? They're, he's a personage of spirit rather than a personage that has a body. Um, so anyway, I've anytime that we have like this definition thing here on the side, I've pulled that out of the Webster's 1828 dictionary. So um, all of these yellow things here, just kind of ignore the yellow. Those are all what Google automatically color coordinates things here for the side. But I've tried to, to color coordinate all of the things down um, in the, the same thing. So anytime we're talking about glory, we're talking in blue, power, purple, etc. Um, anyway, so definition, personage, Webster's Dictionary, um, a man or woman of distinction as an illustrious personage, which I found very interesting. And it's an exterior appearance, stature, air, as a tall personage or as a stately personage. And so I found that definition very interesting as Joseph is describing these beings who he has a personal relationship with. Um, supreme, that one was also an interesting one. So forgive me for scrolling fast up here. Um, as we are picking apart the difference between an attribute and a perfection, that's the word that it uses to distinguish them. A perfection is a supreme version of an attribute. And so taking somewhat of that and looking at the definition of supreme, because we're talking about supreme power here, that it's the highest in authority, holding the highest place in government or power, etc. It gives some examples but it's the highest, greatest, or most excellent as supreme love, supreme glory, supreme degree. So supreme could also be kind of substituted for perfection, right? You're taking something and putting it to its supreme um, degree there. So I found that, uh, anyway, intriguing. Um, so here we have these two personages and they have created everything, right? Visible and invisible, whether in heaven, on earth, or in the earth, or under the earth, or throughout the immensity of space. They are the Father and the Son. And so the next part talks about, again, we're kind of like unpacking who the Father is and who the Son is, and what distinguishes them from each other. So the Father being a personage of spirit, glory, and power which, I mean, this is the first instance of it, but that's what the whole second part is all about. Notice those colors. So it introduces it, but it's still not going to hyper-focus on that quite yet because we got to unpack who the Father is first. And so he's possessing all perfection and fullness. The Son, who was, let's see, did I skip it? see here not only father and son personage yeah okay um, translated as father and mother. so the son who was in the bosom of the father a personage of tabernacle made or fashioned like unto man or being in the form and likeness of man um i think that the in the bosom can be translated in in lots of different ways as we we see throughout scripture but in this instance it kind of references um, a, a hint or nod toward the Adam story where the woman is being formed from the rib. Um, and so I have to wonder if 
if Joseph is kind of pointing us toward a similar principle um, where the son is in the bosom of the father, not necessarily only saying that he was with the father in the beginning, but that he's actually formed from that type of supreme power um, as far as authority goes, right? Um, I don't know. I'm not explaining that one well, but with the the translation of that, uh, I would take some time and, and kind of contrast that and, and see if there's any fun things there. Propitiation for sins. Um, uh, propitiation is basically uh, talking about the atonement. In theology, atonement or atoning sacrifice offered to a god to assuage his wrath or the law of justice and render him propitious to sinners. Christ is the propitiation uh, for the sins of men. I found that definition just very interesting coming from, from Webster and, and what the, the people at that time were uh, understanding for that word. This is the 1828 um, Webster's? Uh-huh, yeah. So I pulled all of those definitions from, from this website here, 1828. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm <laughs> since we did kind of get started a little bit late. I'm kind of like jumping around and, and uh, skipping a few things. But um, I think it's interesting throughout all of the lecture to pay attention to time, because because Joseph definitely is. Um, he's he's demarked or demarcating. No, that's not the right word. He's just marking. Demarcating, is that how you say it? Demarcating? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's demarcating things with um, certain words saying, now this happened before and this happened after kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Do, 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 suffering sufferings. So this one is, is the kind of the big one of the first section. It crescendos here in B with like the whole first chiasm. Um, so interesting here, descending in suffering. And I don't think I would have had any sort of good context for this other than Isaiah's ladder. Like, I'm so grateful to understand the ladder to heaven and uh, apply it in, in this context to what Joseph Smith is talking about here. And so I think the main question to ask ourselves in this section right here is, which things does this lecture specify are outside of the capabilities of man and which things are inside their capacity? So it says um, that, that Christ is descending and suffering below that which man can suffer. So that kind of suffering mortals can't do. Or in other words, he suffered greater sufferings and was exposed to more powerful contradictions than any man can be. So here's what man cannot do, and we had to have a God do that for us. But here's the opposite. This is what man can do. Here it says, but notwithstanding all this, he kept the law of God and remained without sin. And here's the crux, showing thereby that it is in the power of man to keep the law and remain also without sin. And also that by a righteous judgment might come upon all flesh, and that all who walk not in the law of God may justly be condemned by the law and have no excuse for their sins. So 
my first question is, what is the law of God and how is Christ keeping it? So from the phrasing and, and parallelisms here, it, it's tying the law of God is to remain without sin. So in other words, be perfect, right? But I had an incorrect idea of this um, prior to, to reading this, that, you know, Christ is the only one that can be perfect. No one else can ever achieve that in this life. I mean, that's just totally out of the, the scope of things. But really, what is being taught here, that it is in the power of man to keep the law that we just defined as remaining without sin. And also, that by Christ, a righteous judgment might come upon all flesh and all who do not walk, or let's see, who walk not in the law of God, or all who are not perfect may justly be condemned by the perfection of that law and have no excuse for their sins. Anyway, these two things back to back saying, okay, Christ did this, something that you can't do, but Christ also did this, and that is something that you can do. Uh, we see in Matthew 5, 48, where Christ is presenting God's law. Be therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven, is perfect. And anyway, it was just kind of like blowing my mind on how this verse in lecture five is structured and what it's really pointing at and crescendoing in. And, and it, the first part is this, that man can keep that law. It's within their power to do so. Um, so kind of continuing in, let's see, do I want to, no, I'll come back to that. <laughs> Again, I, I'm like in full on teacher mode, sorry. Like feel free to interrupt and, and comment or whatever too, but. Um, so, Again, pay attention to what happens first and what happens later in, in this part here. He says, and he, being the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and having overcome, received a fullness of the glory of the Father, possessing the same mind with the Father, which mind is the Holy Spirit, that bears record of the Father and Son, and these three are one. And so I think here is kind of the crux um, or the dividing line, right? So, and he being the only begotten of the Father, so in his mortal ministry, after he's begotten of the Father, he's full of grace and truth. And then after having overcome, he received of a fullness of the glory of the Father. So prior to this middle point, he's full of grace and truth, but glory comes after. And so does, it seems, possessing the same mind with the Father, which mind is the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I think that this paragraph is, is really interesting after having talked about all that Christ does for us, right? Uh, we're unpacking who the Father is versus the Son and, and everything that he does, and then we're, we're starting to put them back together and um, see how they are similar and how they work as one. I want to go I think back. It's oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I think it's important to notice that he didn't possess the same mind with the father until after he had overcome. Mm -hmm. So um, 
there are people who are like, well, you know, if the father and the son are one, then, you know, that's easier for him to do. But he did that. Um, he overcame all of those problems and got the glory. And then he was one with the father. Um, one of the things that I was just reading in Act in Doctrine by Elder Bednar is about when we know the attributes and the character of Christ and when we Christ and the father are one because they have the same attributes, because they have the same character, because they have the same glory. They are one, right? And we can become one with them when we have, when we develop those same attributes and character and everything with them. And then just like the pattern that Christ just followed, then we can get the same glory as them right mm -hmm. so um but we have to understand the attributes we have to understand the character i mean isn't that what president nelson told us to study the attributes of christ right aren't we going to be doing that this fall yeah. are we doing that this fall <laughs> um you know it, because we have to have that we have to know what that is and we have to change ourselves we have to become something different and then as we become one with them then um you know, like think about your typical, your triangle, right? With your, your spouse, you and your spouse are on either side and Christ is in the middle. And as you move up and you become one with Christ, you become more one with each other until you're all right there at the top. And, you know, I think yeah. we can do that with any of our relationships, right? So as we become one with Christ and everybody's becoming one with Christ, we can then become one with each other. And that's the unity that we need to have for Zion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zion's at the, the crux of it, right? It's that huge principle. Yeah, Zion is at the top. And that's what we have to have, is we have to have that unity at the top with Christ. And if everybody is unified with Christ, then we will all be unified together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. That's a perfect example, that, that triangle thing or whatever. I'm like, how many times have I seen that? <laughs> and, and it just fits in perfectly here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it fits in perfectly with what I was, what I've just been studying this week. I love it how things come right. together like this. I mean, the Lord just goes, "Here, you need to, you need to read this, you need to read this," and and oh yeah, He's just spoon feeding me. That's that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I love it. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, Mother, what did you have? Well, maybe you're going to go back to this, and if if you are, then just skip what I'm saying but like this where we can become perfect we have the yeah that we can become perfect there but I don't believe it's on all levels of the ladder I don't think we can oh. until we get a certain level of the ladder yeah we can do that Exactly. And so um, kind of like it, it starts here, descended in suffering, right? And that kind of clues me into to the latter um, or, or those principles, right? Um, and so one of my questions that I, I've had kind of all year and uh, kind of looking into different things, but which level of the ladder was Christ on during his mortal ministry? And which laws is he operating under? So here we're talking about two different laws. Uh, one is uh, propitiation for sins, 
and um, another is the law of being perfect. And so uh, taking a look at, uh, we were just kind of in this in Isaiah decoded not a couple of weeks ago, but um, taking a look at that the law of perfection is on the, that seraphim level. As we go from telestial to terrestrial, that their perfection is um, expected as we are uh, ministering in that sort of a capacity. And um, something else that I was going to say, but I forgot what it was. Anyway, um, so is perfection a law on that level and is receiving a fullness, a process of the seraphim level? And so this is just like my sentence here or whatever, but it seems like this whole lecture is crescendoing and trying to convince us that we are capable of living this law and receiving the fullness and being perfect. That um, just like Isaiah says, right? All of these levels are available in the flesh, except for Jehovah. That's, that's set aside for one savior of the world. But seraphim is within the, the realm of agency. If you want to live higher laws and, and uh, so forth, that seraphim level is, is attainable in this life. Um, yes, it's, it's attainable uh, afterward as well, but that we have that uh, possible to us. And how key, I mean, this is like my favorite sentence of all time <laughs> in, in these lectures, showing thereby that it is in the power of man. And power is very often interchanged throughout the lectures with faith, right? Faith, or in other words, power. Uh, he says that many times. And so it's within the power of man or within man's framework of faith to keep that law and remain without sin but anyway it, it it just makes so much sense and um starts kind of putting all of this back together um well and this all ties in you know this talk of law and everything all ties back in with doctrine and covenants 130 20 and 21 right yeah. there is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of this world upon which all blessings are predicated and when we obtain any blessing from god it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated so you know to know what law it's 130 20 and 21 there you go i'm copying that and putting it in the notes while i'm here because that's perfect yeah um you know because it is you know like you asked which law right yeah there there which laws do we need to live it's 130 20 and 21 oh okay yeah it was copied over the footnotes for some reason because you have them showing on your screen if you hide footnotes and then you copy things it won't give you the little a's b's c's yeah that kind of thing um but you know which law which law is it and and you know and that's the thing is we're not it's not spelled out for us if you want this blessing you have to keep this law you got to kind of find them it's like a treasure hunt easter egg hunt as i heard it referred to somewhere you know uh, the Lord doesn't hide Easter eggs for us to find because he wants to make things difficult because he wants us to enjoy the hunt. Yeah. 
<laughs> right? Um, <laughs> you know, isn't that what we do for our kids, right? We mm -hmm. we hide Easter eggs so that they can have the joy of finding things, not so they'll get frustrated, not so they'll be um, aggravated and give up, but to make it more enjoyable to find things. And the Lord does the same thing with us. I think also that if we have to search for things, it makes it a little bit more meaningful to us too. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And we don't get them all at once. We get them one at a time as we find them. Right. Cause if he just handed us a, it's like presents, right. In, in my family, we have a tradition um, that we hide birthday presents. And so, you know, they have to be hidden within the living room. And when kids are little, you hide them out in plain sight. But as they get older, they get hidden in harder and harder places. And, um, you know, that way they, if they get a bunch of birthday presents, they're not just getting this big pile and they, they tear through them and they're so busy going to the next one that they don't ever appreciate the thing that they found, they know that they've just opened. Um, but if they have to find one and then they open it, they can concentrate on what they're looking at and see that, and then they have to go and find, you know, and, and be grateful for what they have, and then they go and find an, uh, the next one, right? Um, and I think that that is very much the same kind of concept that the Lord uses with us. We we find something, and we're like, oh, wow, look at this great thing that I learned, and then we can go and we can find some more great things. And, but we appreciate each thing. Whereas if we were just given a book, okay, here's a book with everything that you need. How many people read the owner's manuals? Cause that's what it is, right? It's everything you should ever need to know about whatever the thing is. And we don't read them, but if we have to figure things out one at a time, then they mean something to us. Hmm. Um, and I, and I think that that's, that's the whole point of the, you know, the Easter egg hunt or in our family, the birthday present hunt, you know, things like that. And, and finding things in the scriptures and learning things a little bit here and a little bit there. And it's really, really cool when things from three or four different sources that you're reading that are totally disconnected all come together into one thing that. Yeah. That's a really cool feeling. And so it's your second and third witness, right? Yeah, <laughs> that you're on that that divine lesson plan that the that right track that you're not yeah. off in left field somewhere <laughs> okay i'm not just crazy but yeah and so my proposition or, or i guess the the thing that um has, has come to me is i think that that's what's happening with the lectures at being decanonized, right? Like we know that they were a preparation for an endowment and they're receiving very high blessings, right? As we've studied through all those preliminary weeks. And I think, because I've, I've went through the motions, right? Like, oh, why is this decanonized? This is so precious. And at the same time, he wants you to work for it because these are precious things to, to be had. And so, he, he, you know, it's not that he's hiding them so that we can never find them and get frustrated but he's like when you're ready i'm gonna lead you to them don't worry but like here they are like here's some fun amazing principles that um can be had and so I, i've come to grips with the decanonization <laughs> even though it's just like well all, all right <laughs> somebody's gonna have to answer for that one but anyway <laughs> 
Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the people, right? Yeah. Um, we are, we know that we are given the leaders that we want and that we deserve. We are given the training and the teaching that we want and we deserve. And as the people spiral more into idolatry and embrace more of Babylon, they are less willing to accept the spiritual things of the Lord. And so things are, you know, either watered down or they're not taught as much. And those who want it have to go and find it. Whereas before, you know, used to have all sorts of deep doctrine preached from the pulpit, but they were already leaving Babylon. They were already in that process. Whereas anymore, if you look at most wards and most members of the church, they're, they're okay, I'm coming to church on Sunday, but I live firmly in Babylon. Um, maybe I have a summer cottage in Zion instead of the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I think that that's a, a key principle with the lectures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of taking that and going into the second part of um, the lectures, there's kind of two main things to, to focus on to help us unpack it. Uh, the first, well, the first is that we introduce the father being a personage of spirit, glory, and power, which is copied verbatim down here. But the second is the fact that we've talked about this Christ receiving the same mind with the father and defining what that mind is. It is the Holy Spirit. So we do have to kind of um, define this a little bit different than um, John Pontius does in Triumph of Zion, right? I mean, we're, we're using different lingo, but yet we're, we're all on the same page. But anyway, um, not confusing Holy Spirit of Christ versus the Holy Spirit of the Father, which Joseph Smith is, is um, pulling apart here. And how is the Holy Spirit different from the Holy Ghost? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because this seems to imply, right, that the mind of which mind is the Holy Spirit, and these three constitute the Godhead. This almost seems to imply that this Holy Spirit is the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because in lectures, he never uses the, the term ghost. He always uses Holy Spirit to reference the third member of the Godhead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so... Well, in, in the in the, um, the paragraph that says the Father and the Son possessing the same mind, the same wisdom, glory, power, and fullness. If we compare that to that other paragraph, um, spirit has been changed to wisdom. And then fullness is added on the end. Let's see. Like, is it on this screen or do I need to scroll? Sorry. No, scroll up. Scroll okay. up. Because so it's that paragraph you said that that mirrors this one. This one. Father being a personage of spirit, glory, and power, right? Mm -hmm. And you come down here, and it's possessing the same mind, the same wisdom, glory, and power. Yeah. So it's so. What what can we draw from that about the connection between spirit and wisdom? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so here's this like trifecta here that comes, and um, uh, like I've tried to color code these right to, to match in with those previous ones 
So here it's kind of like the, the algebra where like A, B, and C. And so the mind gets changed to the spirit for A. Glory remains uh, in the B and power remains in the C. And then it switches again and changes out mind and spirit for knowledge um, and then changes power to kingdom. Um, and how that plays into it, because like you were just saying, that wisdom is getting put in there and it also gets changed to knowledge down here as well. And how interesting um, the things are. Like in lecture four, um, sorry to scroll again, but uh, we had verse one of lecture four from last week. I mean, they say the exact same thing with little tiny tweaks to it in one verse over and over and over again and here we're doing the same thing trying to to bring out principles and and highlight certain things that the holy spirit is the mind and it has all knowledge and it has the same wisdom um that glory remains constant and that power pretty much remains constant, except it does get a nuance of kingdom here, kingdom sitting at the right hand of power. It comes back to that, that principle. Anyway, a very interesting point that you bring out there. Um, you got me looking for some of my notes on something. Hang on. It has to do with spirit. I was thinking it was in. Why don't you let them go on? Go ahead. I'll find it. Mm -hmm. good. So one of my questions that arises is, as soon as we're starting to rattle off adjectives or, or things like that, goes back to previous lectures. So are these characteristics? Are they attributes or are they perfections? And um, does this lecture kind of help distinguish that? Uh, up here, we're very much talking about the characteristics. We're pulling apart the father and the son, showing their differences, and then we're putting them back together here and showing their attributes, um, which I think is, is super key. If we look at the, the attributes from lecture four, um, we see these. But I had never considered the spirit, the Holy Ghost, being an attribute. Because, I mean, it's, it's lumped in with all the other attributes here. And if it is an attribute, can it, like the other attributes, have a supreme or perfected state? And um, is that what is being shown here as the, the mind, the spirit, the knowledge, the wisdom um, is getting amplified um, in greater measure? And so, anyway, this is taken on such a new meaning to me um as far as the godhead and um what the the mind like it says here um after christ overcomes he receives the fullness the fullness also being supreme or the perfection of glory and then possessing the same mind with the father so taking it to that that perfected state there. Anyway, I I don't know if I even like am voicing it really well, but like anyway, it, it means a lot to me to take a look at lecture three and four 
and really pull those principles into this one to help us unpack some of the alliterations and um, parallelisms here that, that Joseph is, is pointing out. Okay, so when we talk about spirit, we know that truth is light, light is spirit, all spirit is matter, and matter has mass and takes up space, right? Mm-hmm. So they, when you have um, the father and the son, right? Or in other words, the spirit, you could also say the truth, the light, right? Yeah. Um, taking up space indicates that, um, you know, he's not just a nebulous whatever he actually is matter Mm -hmm. um and this is some of this is in doctrine and covenants 85 84 45 and 46 and then also in um i have on here go to 1317 so let's see what happens when i go there <laughs> 1317 there is no such thing as immaterial matter all spirit is matter oh. but it is more fine or pure and can only be discerned by purer eyes i think that's one that i had actually referenced up here with this one yeah um and it was said um whether visible or invisible that was my mm-hmm. footnote that i put on there was the 131 verse <laughs> <laughs> yes and then i have a go to galatians 522 which is i have to look on my phone I don't have enough desk space for all of these books. <laughs> for the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith is Galatians 5.22 is what I have. So when you, all of those things then tie back into the spirit, because those are the fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. I love and that. that will intent, you know, because if, if he is the fullness of spirit, right. As we're saying, right. So the father and now the son are the fullness of these. If they're the fullness of spirit, the fruit of the spirit. So they will have the fullness of this fruit would be love. So the fullness of love joy, the fullness of joy, peace, the fullness of peace, long-suffering, the fullness of long-suffering. And if you don't think that the Lord is long-suffering, just take a look at what he's dealing, what he's letting happen in the world today. Mm-hmm. Gentleness, he's the fullness of gentleness. Goodness, he's the fullness of goodness. And faith, it's the fullness of faith. And then you can go on and then um, the next verse has meekness, temperance. And it says against there's no such, there isn't against such there is no law so he is also the fullness of meekness and the fullness of temperance and you can look at the life of christ and you can see those things um portrayed in in what he did he was ultimately very very meek he had all the power of the creator yet he submitted in meekness to anything that his tormentors did before they killed him yeah 
and and temperance. He was very even tempered. Um, I don't even think he was angry when he cleansed the temple. He just he, he was like this half this has to be done. This is not you know we cannot tolerate this. But mm-hmm. you know there wasn't anything um, that was not temperate about him. He was not ill-tempered at all. Yeah. So anyway, so you can add Galatians 22 or Galatians 5, 22 and 23 as the fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I added it up here. Um, Galatians 5, 22, where'd I see it? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. It, all Galatians 5, 22 right here. Yeah. Um, in connection with that DNC 131 uh, mm-hmm. principle there. It, it, it applies down here, but anyway, I've got that other one up here and I'm going to fix that when I get off. But, okay. But yeah, that fruit of the spirit there really helps amplify that. Um, let's see. So it, it wraps up this verse to talking about, okay, so we've talked about pulling apart the father and the sons, showing their characteristics, how they're different. We just put them back together and added the Holy Spirit um, as the mind. And now what is possible? So um, he is the mediator for man being full, filled with the fullness of the mind of the father, or in other words, the spirit of the father. Which spirit is shed forth upon all who believe on his name? So, um, like we've referenced before here, that this isn't just for the Godhead. That this spirit is shed forth upon all who believe on his name and keep his commandments. And all those who keep his commandments shall grow up from grace to grace and become heirs of the heavenly kingdom and joint heirs with Christ, possessing the same mind being transformed into the same image or likeness, even the express image of him who fills all in all, being filled with the fullness of his glory and becoming one in him, even as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. And so, like paying attention to pronouns here, (laughs) like we need any more of that in our day, right? But um, who is it talking about? His, his, him? We're talking about God versus when we are looking at the sacrament prayers his spirit and and his all of his things right is referring to christ versus here we're talking about god's name keeping god's commandments and growing up in his grace so that we can receive the same mind as god or in other words the spirit of the father and um taking that and referencing back to the law of god here uh is very i don't know it's just so powerfully taught here in in lecture five um well didn't president nelson talk to us about when he was talking about um learning the attributes of christ talking about um how as we become like him, we will be able to, um, we will, we will be more like him. We will reflect his image. 
uh-huh. you know, our countenance. Wasn't that him? Might not have been. Might have been one of the other conference talks. Yes, there are lots of powerful promises. Um, I wasn't. This is, I just had this happen to be up or whatever at that talk. Um, to, let's see. How do you increase your discipleship? I have an invitation for you. It's an assignment, actually. If you choose to accept it, here's all of the things to study. Um, this may seem like a large assignment, but I encourage you to accept it. If you proceed to learn all that you can about Jesus Christ, I promise you that your love for him and for God's laws, like, keep in mind, it's God's laws, not necessarily the Christ laws, but he's wishing that out there, will grow beyond what you currently imagine. I promise that as you, also, that your ability to turn away from sin will increase. Your desire to keep the commandments will soar. You will find yourself better able to walk away from in entertainment and entanglements, Babylon, of those who mock the followers of Jesus Christ. To assist you, refer to the topical guide. Like Those are some powerful promises, especially for the youth of the, today that he was addressing this to, but to all of us, really. I'm sorry to jump in so late, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> the six o'clock class and all that we talked about so are you talking where am i at <laughs> uh-huh yeah so just talking about all of the um the attributes here at the end we were just kind of finishing up on on the very last of verse two here and um nancy was uh, talking about the promises from studying christ and his attributes yeah. and so i was just quoting from uh, president nelson's talk uh, the promises if you will do this study and study all of these things and and also notice something very interesting because i was taking a new look at this what is the study that president nelson is issuing the assignment it's not the topical guide references those are just there to assist us in the study the study is commence tonight to consecrate a portion of your time to studying everything jesus said and did in the old testament why because he is the jehovah of the old testament study his laws as recorded in the new testament for he is the christ study his doctrine because i mean the book of mormon is is a pure translation right i mean the doctrine is sound and and translated correctly there for there is no book of scripture in which his mission and ministry are more clearly revealed. And study his words as recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants. Why? For he continues to teach his people in this dispensation. And then just reiterating the promises here. This may seem like a large assignment, but I encourage you to accept it. If you proceed to learn all you can about Jesus Christ, I promise you that your love for him and for God's laws will grow beyond what you currently imagine. I promise you also that your ability to turn away from sin will increase. Your desire to keep the commandments will soar. You will find yourself better able to walk away from the entertainment and entanglements of those who mock the followers of Jesus Christ. And then, to assist you, refer to the topical guide for references under the topic of Jesus Christ. 
Study everything prayerfully, vigorously, seeking to understand what each of those means for you personally. And the one that he pulls out, he really is your advocate with the Father. I had like the most powerful, fun learning journey this morning. There is a lot of mysteries in the footnotes, so to say, of Topical Guide Advocate that is just amazing. Find the original Hebrew for, or not Hebrew, the original Greek for the one time that Advocate is used in the New Testament, and your studies will will soar. <laughs> it was so fun. Um, yeah, that's where we're at. <laughs> Cameron, what what talk? Remind me what talk that was from. Uh huh. It's called Prophets, Leadership, and Divine Law. Um, it's a CES devotional. I'm gonna copy the link. Um, or I guess it's not CES. It's a worldwide devotional for young adults. Um, in 2017, a year before he became the prophet. Yeah. And so he, he modifies and shortens the talk down and gives it in conference later on. Um, but the, the real meat of all of it, I mean, is, is in that worldwide devotional there. Prophets, leadership and divine law. Okay. Thank you. Yep. I'm just pasting the link there in the chat to go to it, but it, it, there's two talks that just blew my mind. And so when he became prophet, I, I was like, well, duh like he's like the best person ever <laughs> but prophets leadership and divine law and then um the millennial power talk he gave. well don't forget the power of priesthood that he gave in what october 2016 oh uh yes so these ones were um the two that i referenced were specifically two young adults oh, okay. and um they just blew my mind like i remember both of them very distinctly sitting in the institute building going holy cow things are going to start changing like that was my first like whoa <laughs> and and anyway I just loved President Nelson I didn't even really know President Nelson before you know I'm I'm pretty new to waking up to things and the greatness of people and stuff but those two talks cemented it in for me I was like he's going to be the next prophet and things are going to start changing <laughs> but yeah and then came the whole project of putting together the book of Nelson and stuff, and then really cementing that testimony in like uh, the one that Nancy just mentioned, like, Oh, like he's, it's been there all along. I just didn't even know. <laughs> I, I love president Nelson so much, but anyway, sorry. I kind of went on that one tangent of, of that talk, but I think it applies so well to this. And isn't it interesting that that's, like we talked about in group A, um, how the Lord has been leading us in in this book club, not trying to tout our or toot our own horn kind of a thing, right? But like it, there's lots of things that are preparatory to understanding some of the concepts within lectures, right? The blessings of Abraham, Chesed, and and all that Abraham is, letting God prevail. And then Isaiah decoded, learning the, the ladder to heaven and unpacking a lot of lecture five through that. Um, and then Triumph of Zion, learning what things are possible to us in this life and, and lots of profound things there, leading us into uh, the words of President Nelson and, and the, like all of that. Like I've read lectures many times, didn't get much out of it. 
like I knew it was powerful, but I didn't know why or how and everything. But this time through lectures has just been like so amazing. And like you said, every little thing in Come Follow Me every week has lined right up with things and like all the studies that are coming and stuff like it's just so powerful how the Lord orchestrates each one of our lesson plans right and that's why it's so fun to study in a group because somebody's over here studying this this and this and, and I'm over here studying this this and this and then we all come together and uh like that triangle principle that you were talking about before, like as we're all growing together with our own individualities, but coming closer to Christ, that is just Zion. It's just what it is. It's that unity and um, ability to to talk and discourse and and, and all of that. Anyway, I just love it. I, <laughs> I get mushy sometimes. You get me all teary eyed. <laughs> Now you know why we all wanted to continue, Cameron. <laughs> yeah, you almost broke up with us. <laughs> I'm still, like, I'm still a little bit hurt me. about that. I'm still a little hurt. <laughs> I'm still having a little bit of issues with the breakup. Okay, but so I'm okay be now. Before we go <laughs> to Leslie, sorry. So I received like a clear revelation of stop kind of a thing, right? And that it had fulfilled its measure kind of thing or whatever. And it was just like, okay, I, I guess I'm done. But my thought process prior to that was leading the book club in a different direction. And the Lord needed that to turn about and go this other way. And so it, it the breakup was all on me. That was my fault. And it's okay. I the just, Lord I puts just it have, there. I just have rejection energy. So don't, don't take it personal. Okay. <laughs> but aren't you so glad where yeah. we're headed? Like the topical guide study is like amazing. I, I tell you, this morning was so fun. I'm, I'm so excited to dive into that with everyone. We but love yeah, your anyway. excitement. <laughs> I'm excited. And you're not just blessing us. You're blessing our families and you're blessing our friends and you're blessing so many other people. And so we really appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know. It's just. And your excitement. And I just want to know when we can. <laughs> I know. And I just want to know when we can have another watch a movie watch together because that was super nerdy <laughs> and super fun i wa i watched it like three times the the the, the recording of it because i'm like oh really oh, so it's fun to watch a movie with somebody by myself well, except for by myself <laughs> we should do another one like the shack yeah <laughs> that was so fun when you have some spare time well after september let me get that one under my belt and we might after after september 26th you mean yeah <laughs> yeah when so we start the alive. official new year september 26th then we'll if we're still alive then then it will be general conference and we will all have new marching orders and oh, things aren't going to get easier <laughs> oh true this is exciting times it is very exciting times yeah. and cameron you know i'm just teasing you about the breakup right you know i, I'm I totally know kidding. totally but okay. i kind of forget like which groups i've actually like kind of told the process to and like which ones i hadn't anyway so you might hear it again in, in group c but 
I think it's just fun, kind of like the the revelatory process and then how things happen, right? And like, well, and it totally is how revelation is trying to figure yeah. out, okay, Heavenly Father, what are you trying to tell me? Like, I'm not understanding exactly what this is supposed to look like. Yeah. So yeah, that like, totally makes sense. To me. <laughs> you need to break up with your group. Okay. I'm like, I'm oh, how could uh, I have to? Have <laughs> now you need to get Stephen. back together. <laughs> Stefan was like, we cannot let this happen. We have to corner him. This is not going to happen. And I was like. We can't help a breakup. If he's going to break up with us, there's not, you can't make somebody love you. You can't. I have rejection energy, okay? Cameron, <laughs> he's like, no, no, Lord, no, he's not. Cameron, what the Lord was trying to tell you was that you needed to stop the direction you thought you were going, not mm -hmm. stop right. the group. Yeah. Not drop us. That's right. Yeah. We're not a hot potato no and there was a lot of things in there too of like i i'm not going to explain this very well but the fact that uh how do i put this into words because the thoughts there but my words are explaining it wrong but like okay this group has gotten to checkpoint a and i need you to return and bring another group to checkpoint a Kind of a thing right and so that was one of the reasons for the whole process of of revelation but at the same time no it doesn't mean that this first group stops at checkpoint a like you still need to go on there like you misinterpreted me but i i also need you to go back and get another group kind of a thing and so that's i think revelation is so hard that. sometimes sometimes <laughs> when you get revelation it's so hard like I found, I've been looking forever for a trailer. I've been looking for a certain trailer, a certain price range for uh, over a year. And I found one. It was exactly what I wanted. It was the exact brand, the exact size, everything. So I thought, oh, this is perfect, but it's two hours away. So I had to get Rick to drive with me to go look at it and see if it was, it looked good though. It looked like a good deal. And then I was all set. I had the money already. And then I prayed about it and it was like, nope. And I was like, what? No, <laughs> it's the right price and it's the right money and it's the right thing and it's the right everything. And I was like, no. So I was like, oh, I hate disappointment. But <laughs> so then again, today I prayed about it. I was like, how about today? Is today a better day? Did you just not want me to go yesterday? And I was like, nope. And I'm like, Oh, Heavenly Father, like maybe you have something better, but oh, sometimes it's just hard to understand. You just have to have faith. Yeah. And I have to act. I have to, I have to act on it. So this has been really good for me to practice. Remember how we talked about building our faith muscle? Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, just let it go. Something better than this. But I've been watching for a whole year. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'll let you, I'll keep you with the saga later, but I don't, I don't think I'm getting the trailer. <laughs> Darn it. I know. Don't forget so disappointed. Yep. Yeah, Leslie, what you got? I think, it, Kathy, I think it means you, that you don't need to go camping. <laughs> that would, that's what it would mean to me. <laughs> I love camping, actually. <laughs> and my, my kids love to camp. And so I just really, so, I've been wanting one forever. Maybe you're going to go camping. With, you're going to go camping without a trailer. <laughs> See, I don't love that idea. <laughs> I have like a 30-man tent that I don't plan, I plan on using in the snow 
Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have the fireplace. I have all the stuff, but I want a trailer. <laughs> I love it. Anyway. Um, this is fun. I'm glad I popped in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've just been thinking since seven o'clock about all this stuff. And um, I was thinking about... <laughs> And somebody here will be able to tell me the, the quote of, um, it was President Nelson, I think, that said it. But that's the, the third thing that I'm going to say that, but that we're uh, <clears throat> talking about the seraphim level and how that's achievable by um, mortals. And um, and then I'm thinking, well, then the thought is like, we're all gods in embryo. Where'd you go, Cameron? <laughs> yeah, we're in embryo. <laughs> that, you needed a drink. <laughs> <laughs> that we're all gods in embryo. And, and, and so there's that thought. And then, and oh, a number of years ago, there was a family in the award that we were in and they had the neatest kids that they were just as close to ideal kids as you could possibly imagine. And it wasn't, it wasn't contrived. It was, it was just real. <clears throat> and excuse me. <coughs> and we asked the mom, one time, you know, what is it that you've done? You know, my kids were, she had, she was an, maybe 10 years older than me. And so she had older, some older children. And um, actually one of her, her kids married one of um, President Iring's kids. So they were buddies with the Irings and Irings would come to our ward because they would come and vacation, go on the weekends with them. And it was just that they were just, I don't know. I had, I had children envy or parenting envy is what I had. And so <clears throat> on her refrigerator was a quote and it was children are not to be molded, but rather to be unfolded. And she really lived by that. And yeah, I know in the, the Bible talks about um, uh, God molding us, but that's, I think that's different. And so um, <clears throat> so she really unfolded her children because she really believed that they were gods in embryo and they really became what she believed and um, and I've been trying to mold myself and and through <laughs> rather than um, allowing the Lord to unfold me. And, and that was, and, and the spirit is just so bearing testimony of that right now. Um, I've notoriously been too hard on myself um, throughout my life. And um, that doesn't allow for uh, the vessel to enlarge or do its job or, um, any of those other things and, and catch up to the um, all the, the knowledge that the Lord wants to pour into 
uh, our vessels. And so um, the third thing is the quote by President Nelson that I'm hoping somebody knows where that is. And I, <clears throat> I'm not even quite sure how to quote it because it's, it's just an idea rather than an actual quote, but that everything that we needed to come down here, we already either learned or was given to us or, or the strengths and the abilities. Does that ring a bell to anybody? No. I'm looking. But it sounds right. <laughs> we just came here to learn what we lost, what we forgot. <laughs> yeah. And so it's all it's all within us. And to me, it's like we just need to uh un unfold and, and let go of those natural man parts that are so tightly wrapped around us and and um let all that strength and power and for all the gods and embryo part. And I know that there can be more than one way to look at the gods and embryo, but I, this just really has been um, swirling around in my soul since the first class. So. Reminds me of a quote from the Wizard of Oz. Oh, she says yeah. To Dorothy, you yeah. always had the power within you. Yes. You yeah. know, he's just always had it, but we just don't realize it. Yeah. Um. I think there's a scripture that says that too. Somewhere in the New Testament, it sounds, I, I can't remember it. I'm as bad as you are not remembering things. But. Yeah, I don't know, but I know President Nelson said it, I believe since he's been prophet. Okay. So. I'll try to hunt that down. <clears throat> yeah, I feel like there's a scripture. We just had a lesson in seminary on the plan of salvation. And I'm pretty sure we read... A scripture that, and I'm, uh, I don't know where that lesson is. <laughs> it's from last week, but uh, I don't know what I did with it. Oh, did with it. What? Seminary going. What? How is seminary? Oh, it's, Are you it's going good. Am I what? Come in. I'm on. I'm in class. But come in. I'm in class. <laughs> He's scared the living daylight. I'm in class. <laughs> I am now. Scared me. Bye. So, Cindy, you still are the seminary teachers still teach plan of salvation the first week of seminary, right? Yeah. Every year. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. This is only my second year. So I remember well, teaching it last year too. So you'll, you'll teach it the beginning, the first week, every year. I remember, you know, I, I taught early morning seminary for four years and, you know, by year number three or four, I was like, man, I, I, I just did this. These kids have just had this. Why do we teach this every year and, and and I really didn't understand at the time but now I totally get it because so much of of what we believe and our foundational doctrines come from the knowledge of the plan and if they truly understand the plan and they understand how it works and they can they can hold any idea or philosophy that they come up with or that is presented to them well let's hold it up against the plan 
is it in harmony with the plan? Is it not in harmony with the plan? If it's in harmony with the plan, then okay, this is this will be a good thing. If it's not in harmony with the plan of salvation, then we know where it comes from and we can discard that and move on. But we really have they really have to understand at a deep level all of the parts of the plan, not just the little circles and lines and, and things like that, but what does it really mean for us? And you know, I I was just talking to Scott about that yesterday, I think, about, oh, light bulb. You know, I've, I've started to see that unfold in the last few years, but really yesterday it was like, wow, it really is so incredibly important. So Yeah, it just you know, makes with, everything all fit together. That's for sure. It, it does. And if you can impart that information and the importance of the plan to the kids so that they're not just going oh yeah we've had this lesson before you know and tune you out but if you can impart to them how foundational that is then it will be um, transformative for them yeah i agree i do agree i know i remember that this is i have the lesson from last year i don't know why i don't have the lesson from this year but um but yeah, I remember it said that that they do have a lesson on that every once in a while. They'll they stick a lesson in on the plan of salvation. There's several during the year. So well, we had an entire week when when I was teaching seminary, the entire first week of seminary was on the plan of salvation every year. And the year that we did Book of Mormon, we actually had held seminary in my mom's basement because she had a great almost classroom space and I took a big huge piece of butcher paper it was probably 20 feet long and we drew the plan on that and it stayed up on the wall the whole year wow that's awesome yeah so you know it was always there and then when we got to tree of life we actually had one of the kids who was artistic draw it out as people were picking out things you know that they saw and everything like that and he would draw it and that stayed up on the opposite wall for the rest of the year <laughs> i love it <laughs> so that's awesome yeah i know the first week we did the plan of salvation we did i did a lesson on the the role of the learner and the holy ghost and the teacher and we did a lesson on uh, acquiring spiritual knowledge if they have questions what to do if they have questions or when they have questions so yeah it's not were, an if <laughs> right <laughs> and that the importance of having questions that they need to ask questions and what to do when those questions arise so that was that was a good one but yeah it's going good we're starting isaiah this next week which I'm actually really excited about. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of weird. You know, the the change where the school year is following, come follow me. You're not just studying a set book, you know, so that that's going to be kind of different. So you know, I wondered that. I've never asked a seminary teacher, but like with the summer months, do you ever go back and try to regain some of those or is it it's just no nope. skip them yeah uh, hopefully they're doing it with their families mm -hmm. so yeah we just we just pick up where we where it is at that yes. time mm -hmm. when you when you start so yep interesting yeah 
Well, anyway, is there anything else, lectures or otherwise, that um, we needed to cover? <laughs> Kathy and Leslie had to go. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'll, I'll find, I'll try to find that President Nelson quote or whatever. If anybody else finds it, send it to me. But, but yeah, lecture five was like the most amazing thing to me this time. Like it's always been my favorite as I've gone through the lectures, but, <coughs> but this time it was just taking on such rich nuances and things. Uh, just kind of quoting from the uh, verse three there. So from the foregoing account of the Godhead, which is revelations, <laughs> the saints have a sure foundation laid for the exercise of faith unto life and salvation. Like this is foundational. And what does it say? I mean, lecture four was the first one that has a memorization um, assignment, but this one, like this one is, is so crucial. Just memorize verse two. It Commit it to memory. Um, I don't think Joseph Smith would say that if it's not important. I mean, as far as foundational, I'm <laughs> do what you want with, with memorization and uh, accepting assignments and stuff. But um, it's just interesting how it does get decanonized. And, and like we've talked about the, the Easter egg principle and um, I, it's just fun that the Lord's been leading um, and uh, tutoring us in lots of different ways. And, and here we are uh, reading this and getting lots of fun new insights together. It's been a fun journey, fun talk tonight. Holy cow. This will be one we watch over and over again, huh, mom? <laughs> lecture five. But yeah. Um, so for next week, lecture sixth. Um, is there anything else? I keep a running tab of like, housekeeping items. Um, there's a, a Q&A with Avraham this Tuesday for the book clubs, but they're kind of easing up on restrictions, like as far as you have to be participating in it to attend. So if you want the link for that, let me know. Um, I think that's it as far as that goes. But anyway, it's been fun. <laughs> Love it every week. So yeah, we'll, we'll see everyone for, for that. Uh, we'll finish up uh, at the end of September and, and head into Topical Guide in October. All right. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs> we'll see you all Bye. later.